Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Good morning, folks. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We were supposed to be covering the inauguration live from Baton Rouge today because according to state law, the state constitution, the transfer of power occurs on the second Monday of January, which would have been today, Monday, January the 8th. Uh, because of the and it still does at 12 o'clock that's when the official transfer of power uh, occurs here in the state of Louisiana but because of the bad weather that was projected for today uh, they wisely moved the inauguration to yesterday uh, to make sure that they were able to get that ceremony in uh, yesterday afternoon it was a beautiful ceremony thankfully the weather cooperated uh, today it looked like it was not going to uh, but it kind of changes and disrupt things, and uh, obviously with the flow of how this works and um, in Louisiana, who knows better than we do of how to adapt to very quick weather changes and what happens there. So yesterday, the number of state officials were sworn in the state treasurer, John Fleming, Agriculture Commissioner Mike Strain, Insurance Commissioner Tim Temple, Secretary of State Nancy Landry, Attorney General Liz Murrell, Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser and incoming Governor uh, Jeff Landry. We'll talk with Robert Hogan in the 11 o'clock hour and a little bit of the 12 o'clock hour, Dave Cohen and myself, and we'll review some of the uh, the snippets of Governor Landry's speech yesterday in his inaugural address. Uh, but we're joined by John Cuvion right now, political analyst, analyst, pollster, and founder of JC Analytics and Polling. John, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, John. Um, obviously, things had to change. The lineup had to change. A lot of moving parts over this weekend because of the weather. Kind of feels a little different, but it was a beautiful ceremony nonetheless. It was, and I thought that the optics were actually quite favorable considering that you had, you know, the clear skies, the sun was setting, you had the drone coverage showing the capital from the bird's eye view. The optics of it, I thought, were very excellently done. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but still a little odd, right? Because everybody looks forward to that Monday, and you you kind of develop the right. momentum of the day leading into the inaugural ball, everyone breaking out, going to their respective parties and celebrations. They have their own kind of swearing-in ceremonies within uh, the bodies of the legislature and otherwise, and uh, that was disrupted, obviously. Right, and it's, it is it is kind of odd having an inauguration where you can't take power for another day, but, you know, the Constitution is the Constitution. Right, absolutely. So um, a lot of interesting things going on, though, with this before we started talking about the inaugural address. There are a number of positions that had yet to be announced as to who will be leading uh, those organizations in government, the Louisiana Economic Development uh, Director, Head of Corrections, Coastal Protection, 
the juvenile system in the state. Um, people are still kind of anxiously waiting to see what direction the governor will go in. Yeah, and what's been interesting about the transition time, really there's two there's twofold interest. The first is Jeff Landry has had an extra month relative to many other incoming governors. And the second is things have been remarkably quiet regarding his plans, with the exception last night of his speech. But that quietude to me is kind of a symbol of what I think is going to be the next four to eight years, which is going to be a lot of message discipline and, you know, kind of minimal information being given out except at the last minute. So that has been kind of an interesting aspect of the last few months. It seems as though uh, he's not, or the governor, uh, Jeff Landry, hasn't really been very receptive to criticism very much and, and uh, doesn't like being on the defensive is, is kind of the, the way I would characterize it and kind of sum it up. Your thoughts? Well, it goes, it comes with the job. And so the thing about it is you can certainly try to control the message as much as you can, but the office of governor is so visible and so powerful. I don't really see how you can hide the whole time. In other words, you're going to have to have a game plan ready for kind of communicating your message to the public every day because if not the media will do the job for him and that may not create good results either so if you were to sum up yesterday's inaugural address it it occurred to me that he didn't really reveal a lot about operationally what he intends to do it seemed as though it was um an attempt at being inspirational, not necessarily aspirational, and really didn't outline operationally what his intentions are. It was it was basically short, sweet, and what I thought was kind of interesting was the fact that you had the threat of coming home, that as the coming homeness was being communicated throughout the speech, a couple of themes did slip in here and there, such as, quote-unquote, wokeism in the schools, and uh, crime and things like that. But it seemed like those were kind of like side thoughts woven into the central theme of coming home. So you're right. It was, it's the most specific we've gotten thus far from governor to be Landry, but I would imagine the more, the greater deal specifics are going to be coming from what he puts in the special session call. In other words, if there's other things he wants to tackle in addition to congressional and or Supreme Court redistricting next week. But it kind of goes along with his reputation, right? He's not known as being a policy wonk. Right. He has a couple of kind of simple themes that he adheres to, and he's not going to get deep in the weeds. I suspect that a lot of that's going to be delegated out. And, and the issues that he did talk about, as you outlined, with uh, education, a little bit of health care, um, you know, and, and some of the other issues are, are issues that are safe uh, to his messaging. They all poll very well with Republicans, obviously, and they all poll very well here in the state of Louisiana. Right. I mean, when I think about talking about wokeism in schools, just to use one example, that kind of reminds me of what helped elect Glenn Youngkin, governor of Virginia. 
So those handful of themes to me, you know, it was kind of like it was, it was a fairly play it safe while at the same time clearly established that he's going to be going in a different direction than Governor Edwards. Yeah, and interestingly, uh, never really openly critical in the address of the previous administration either, uh, in, a, in a direct fashion. Right, and that's always the fine balancing act whenever you're about to take over as governor is you clearly want to establish that you're a different kind of guy, but at the same time, you don't want to trash the person who is – you know, heading out the door. And that has been an interesting balancing act I've seen the last few months in that Jeff has basically gone out of his way to be complimentary of Governor Edwards. But at the same time, it's clear that he's going to be most likely reversing some governor, some policies of the governor in rapid fashion uh, come, let's see, less than uh, an, an hour and 44 minutes from now. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, it, but you know, when you make the compare and contrast of what each uh, individual was welcomed uh, by or welcomed to when they came into uh, the governor's mansion, in the case of Governor John Bell Edwards, uh, greater than $2 billion deficit. In the case of um, Jeff Landry, right. a $3.2 billion surplus. Right. It's, it's like night and day. And the thing, too, is... Governor Edwards had multiple issues he had to face upon taking over, not just the massive budget deficit, but you had several natural disasters that spring. He had been uh, rejected with his leadership choice for Speaker of the House. So it, it seems like he, Governor Edwards, had rougher sledding early on than what Jeff has, where basically, you know, the economy is doing better. He has comfortable Republican majorities in the legislature and so forth. So you're right. It's like night and day in terms of what each of them faced on day one. When you think about uh, and and in the case of Jeff Landry, though, there are some significant challenges for an incoming governor uh, getting your feet wet right away, having to deal with a congressional redistricting issue mandated by the courts. And then on top of that, a redistricting issue for the Louisiana Supreme Court, the highest court in the state. Right. Um, that's not a simple task by any stretch of the imagination. It, it's not. And it's going to be, to me, an early test of kind of, I guess, diplomatic skills, for lack of a better term. Because one of the things that makes the Supreme Court redistricting even more challenged is the fact that judicial reapportionment bills need two-thirds majorities so that's going to require a lot of coalition building because you have multiple objectives, some of which are in direct conflict with each other in terms of trying to redraw something that's been around for nearly 30 years. Which issue, um, and, and obviously I guess the, in the congressional redistricting, you are actually eliminating a Republican-held district, Right. Right. I mean, what the idea is, is drawing two black majority districts where there was one. And to me, there's two parts of that two black majority districts. The one is how you define a black majority. And the second is the exact placement of that district, because obviously one district would be centered in the New Orleans area. The other one, theoretically Baton Rouge or Shreveport or somewhere in between, 
But I would expect that second black majority district would likely be uh, centered in Baton Rouge. So the the specifics of that are going to be an interesting challenge with regards to congressional redistricting. And um, so we we and then we leave that special session and we're thinking about uh, calling a second special session on crime. Uh, yeah. there, there's kind of been two storylines uh, being told. One, um, because of the experience that he had as working a, as a deputy sheriff at some point in time in his career, and then obviously his role as the attorney general um, has, has developed his ideology as it relates to it. He hadn't really revealed uh, that yet. Um, one of his biggest supporters announces that he's moving his office to Jefferson Parish because of crime, and then now he's retreated off of that because they have, in fact, won and will be in control, uh, quote-unquote, of crime fighting in, in New Orleans to some extent and has decided to stay. Um, there's been a lot of interesting rhetoric flying around this notion of uh, crime, and I think they have set high expectations that could be tough to deliver on. Yeah, crime is always a tricky issue. I mean, one of the things I did find that was interesting, though, is that this idea of the settlement, which is some of the cases that the Orleans Parish DA had thus far been handling internally, would be farmed out to the state attorney general, which I find kind of interesting. And then the other thing about crime is, going to be to what extent is there going to be a state police presence required in New Orleans and for how long? And so, you know, like I said, it'd be interesting to see what the specifics of the bills are, but I thought that that development regarding farming out some criminal cases was an interesting kind of change of the winds, so to speak. Expound on that, if you would. So typically, there is a reluctance for local officials to cede their authority to the state. And so the fact that you have this kind of agreement and concept, which is some of these cases that heretofore had been prosecuted only within the confines of the Orleans Parish DA that now would be uh, prosecuted at the state level – that's an interesting kind of change of jurisdiction there that I truthfully would not have expected had had John Bell Edwards still been still been governor. Yeah, I mean, I no, I, I, I would agree. I mean, that's always there's always been a reluctance to cede authority. There is a flip side to that, though. And I really believe that if Latoya Cantrell wants to leave a positive legacy, um, she needs to embrace all the help that she can get, whether it comes from a Republican yeah. governor or otherwise. Obviously, crime has been an issue. It's been a, um, a burr in the saddle uh, for her politically and otherwise. And I think the same holds true for Jason Williams, the DA. Uh, they would be foolish to look the gift horse in the mouth and think that they have the assets and the resources necessary to tackle this on their own because it's obvious that they do not. Uh, right. So when there's, when there's this offer of help, it would be an incredible void in leadership, would, wouldn't you think, uh, to sit there and say no? Right. Well, and pragmatically speaking, 
from the standpoint of if you're an elected official in Orleans Parish is you're about to lose your security blanket, that security blanket being Governor Edwards not really interfering in local affairs. And I suspect that what's happening is these New Orleans officials are basically going to get along to go along as they have done in the past. I mean, I I could think all the way back to the days of the old regulars with Huey Long, where you could have a state, a chief executive spouting, you know, anti-New Orleans rhetoric, but the old regulars would always figure out a way to still work with the governor to maintain their control. And so something like that is what I see happening right now with regards to the Orleans Parish leadership that, you know, LaToya Cantrell realizes that she does not have a friend in the governor's mansion anymore. Uh, I understand that she was there at, at the inaugural address and was interviewed hmm. by, by folks and, and said that she uh, definitely identifies a path in which she can work with the incoming governor. And so that's an interesting kind of change in the winds, which goes back to, you know, I've seen the power structure in New Orleans for years and years and years learn how to get along with the state so that they could still maintain some semblance of local autonomy. And I suspect that Mayor Cantrell will be no different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. After all, uh, State Senator DePlessis was on that, I don't know if you want to call it a study commission or a study group or whatever, about New Orleans crime that the Landry administration had convened during the transition period. And so, you know, the fact that you had someone from New Orleans, uh, you know, being part of that group, to me, is a signal of not just being automatically against anything the Landry administration wants to do. Right. We're visiting with John Cuvion, political analyst, pollster, and founder of JMC Analytics and Polling. <clears throat> Got to get to a break. We will be right back. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Lines. Stay with us. This is Newell on WWL. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. In the address yesterday, Governor... 
Jeff Landry said, Our people did not send us here to quarrel over the senseless, the personal, the trivial, or the political. Our problems cannot find resolution whenever political divide becomes the antithesis to solution. Our people did not send us here to settle scores or engage in battles created by secretly funded manipulators that profit by dividing Americans. Instead, the people sent us here to repair and reform their government and to unleash innovation and production so their future and the future of their children are made better. They sent us here not as politicians seeking the next vote, but as statesmen seeking the next generation. For the people of this state are hopeful and anxious. They demand leadership that will place the greater good of this state above personal agendas, delusional entitlements, and special interests. Our people seek government that reflects their values. There's a shot across the bow of a number of different groups and folks in, that, in those roughly two paragraphs of words, right? <laughs> Well, it's it's an it's an interesting you know kind of statesmanship type of speech with a couple of I guess barbs thrown in there. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's as if and though special interests and otherwise is not binary. I mean it's it's not like it's it centers around one party and one ideology and not all. <laughs> well, what's what's going to be interesting to me is going to be. The opening address he gives both at the special session and or the regular session, because that's what we're really going to understand kind of what Tony's going to be taking in terms of his dealings with the legislature. Yeah. It, why do why do you think that? Well, so, I mean, the interesting thing we have here is for the first time since most arguably the Blanco administration back in 2004, you have a governor coming in where he has a legislature that by and large sees things the same way he does. And so the question then becomes, okay, you have this overlarge majority. Do you take a confrontational tone or do you take the statesmanship tone, which we saw parts of last night? And then, of course, the other thing, too, is when you're talking about the relationship of the governor versus the legislature is how much give and take is going to be coming from the governor's office versus basically laying down the law and saying, I'm the governor, this is how it shall be. So that's what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the tone he takes with the opening address of those two sessions. Obviously, the landscape is a lot different, right? When uh, Oh, yeah. And, and you've talked about this before when John Bell Edwards came into office it was always kind of a, uh, a gentleman's agreement that the governor would have some say-so in the leadership of both the House and the Senate. That went by the wayside, and at the time they talked about how they had to uh, flex their independence. They had to be an independent body. Uh, they did not welcome, and no longer would they welcome intrusion from the executive office. Um, that held true for eight years, and it seemed to run by the wayside as, as soon as a, a like Republican was elected. You know, the irony about that, though, is that Governor Edwards, to me, got a slightly better deal with the House in his second term than in his first term once he realized that, you know, hey, I cannot get an elected, I cannot get a Democrat elected, but if I play favorites within 
two different Republicans running, I can get a better candidate. That was an interesting change in tone that perhaps had he done that in early 2016, he probably could have had a better go with the legislature because nothing to me hobbles an incoming governor like the perception of weakness. And one of your first votes, which is the leadership vote, you come up short, immediately the opposition smells blood in the water. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic going forward into the Landry administration, although it doesn't seem like there's going to be any major contention with regards to the leadership picks, unlike four years and eight years ago. Yeah. You know, I'm getting a couple of nasty text messages, uh, you know, talking as though this is criticism. It's not criticism. It's just observations. And in many cases, reality, exactly. right? I mean, it's kind of like. I mean, I, I look at it this way. If you're trying to provide commentary, inevitably, you're going to have someone who's not going to like what you say. And it's like, well, that just goes with the business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, but you my I always attempt to point out the obvious. Right. Right. Uh, now, whether it turns out to be something else, I don't know, because a lot of this is yet to reveal itself. In fact, in, uh, if I had one criticism of Jeff Landry, it would be is that he's not really, truly revealed himself to the public. Yeah. And I think what's going to be interesting is going to be what issues he focuses on, because I would imagine the first year. A lot of things that were near and dear to Republicans' hearts that Governor Edwards had vetoed repeatedly, I would suspect those get, you know, the rapid fire treatment passed this spring. But beyond that, it's like, well, you still got three more years left in your first term. What other issues are you going to focus on? But in the short term, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of things getting passed that before, you know, died an instant death at the veto pen. Would you agree that one of the telling issues uh, for him and, and potentially uh, could be a linchpin issue for him with the public is whether or not there's going to be a desire to repeal uh, the state sales tax, the additional state sales tax that was passed in order to deal with the budget deficit that was inherited by Governor John Bell Edwards from Governor then Governor Jindal? Uh, You're referring to the 0.45 cents? The 0.45 cents, because without it, they wouldn't have been able to accomplish much, and they wouldn't have been able to right the ship uh, in the fashion that they were able to do so as to whether or not they rid themselves of that 0.45%. It's definitely going to be an interesting test of his leadership because you have a couple of ways of looking at this. You have a sales tax that is very unpopular with the legislature, and they want to get rid of it. But at the same time, will our financial position now and a couple of years in the future be such to where the revenue loss doesn't go noticed? In other words, you don't want to have that revenue loss from taking away the sales tax trigger all kinds of cuts. And so that's going to be the interesting challenge I see for Governor Landry is straight up repealing that versus if, let's say, he wanted to try to tackle some festering uh, infrastructure issues, such as the $14 billion road backlog. You have that. I mean, just on the crime <coughs> fighting picture, you know, again, I got a couple of texts here. What, you're not in favor of the governor fighting crime? Yeah, of course I am. Uh, right. But operationally, uh, and I say this all the time, you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose. And what you can actually make happen operationally 
uh, is going to require money. The creation right. of a new troop requires money. Operationally, uh, you definitely want to approach it in a way where you can judge the effectiveness of what you're doing so that, I mean, the politi- there's a political animal uh, component within every politician. I had it. Everyone had it where you want to be able to show the public that what you did was meaningful and made a difference. You can't quantify it if you come down here in an operational fashion where you you are disseminated amongst the remainder of the NOPD troops and you own nothing as it relates to that. So, you know, whether or not one would want to live and die on the back of the NOPD uh, is going to be an interesting decision to see how that is made. I have advocated that they ought to give them a piece of geography and let them take ownership of it and move the NOPD yeah. officers that are assigned to that piece of geography amongst the other troops, um, and then you live and die on, what, on how you end up policing that area and what you bring to that area, what assets, resources, strategy you bring to that area obviously working in concert with the NOPD, but otherwise nothing you do is quantified, right? So if it, if it yeah. doesn't go right, if it doesn't uh, pan out correctly, you suffer the ills of who knows what. I, you don't control anybody else. Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing about crime, too, I mean, there's certainly a resource aspect to it. I also think there is a perception aspect to it, and I'm going all the way back to Rudy Giuliani's broken windows theory that he used, Mm -hmm. which is if criminals think they can get away with something because the elected officials don't seem to be serious about fighting crime, I do think they take advantage of that vacuum of seriousness. So it's almost like it has to be a one-two punch to me, which is you know, providing the resources to – you know, let the criminal world know you're serious, as well as kind of backing it up with tough rhetoric. So they, they kind of go hand in hand to me. Well, they absolutely do. And it has to be holistic in its approach because yeah. one very much influences the other. You know, the yeah. other when you when you're no longer involved in a, in a very proactive drug interdiction strategy in any particular piece of geography, you're going to see the ripple effect of that in other reported crimes because they are intrinsically linked to burglaries. They're right. intrinsically linked to vehicle thefts, vehicle burglaries, robberies, armed robberies. A lot of folks are trying to support a habit. And, you know, right. but the easiest way to lock them up is a drug case uh, because of the nature of the strategy of how you conduct a drug case. And a lot of times, you know, we have jurisdictions across this country, New Orleans being no different, that um, when things get tight, drug interdiction goes by the wayside. And I think it's a critical flaw. And it's a, it's a great example that you bring up, John, about, you know, what are you willing, how many daggers or how many swords are you willing to take, um, you know, for the political culture, political climate in the city of New Orleans by putting yourself out there as the leading Republican in the state of Louisiana. Uh, and I'm not trying to bring this back to uh, a D versus an R, but it is what it is. I mean, that, right. <laughs> you, know, you, can, you can try and talk around that all you want, but it, it's all about getting elected and it's all about making a difference. 
because uh, at the national level, they're going to be pointing this out, right? They point it out now. We, we have high crime in, in our states. Yeah, well, we have D cities in our states. Exactly. And we have R cities in D states. So, yeah. Um, you know, how, how do you want to dice it? Uh, and, you know, whether or not you can control that or not uh, is going to be really de- determinative by the operational plan that you put in place. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see kind of what uh, the Landry administration does with regards to tackling crime. But, I mean, I do think that a change in attitude is part of it. And beyond that, it is a case of kind of understanding, OK, what do these various police agencies need to be able to do their job most effectively? And then, of course, that gets into all these other externalities, such as the judiciary the local elected officials and so forth. So it's going to be interesting to see how this gets tackled. But I do think that attitude is part of it. Attitude being, you know, there being a minimum of nonsense that you're willing to put up with, which historically has been the policy with, you know, to, to strike close to home here, how Jefferson Parish has had always held the line with regards to permissiveness on crime. And so, that, that's going to be the interesting uh, part of the Landry administration from the get-go. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it highlights combating and differing ideologies. Although, you know, the DA has migrated some, right, from, from when he was campaigning in poetry and talking about a new progressive DA, wasn't going to triple bill, wasn't going to charge juveniles as adult, wasn't going to do this, wasn't going to do that. Uh, a lot of folks were very uneasy about it. Uh, you begin looking crime victims in the face and you begin recognizing, hmm, this may not be working out so well. There are exceptions right. to every rule. And unfortunately, I'm running across and running into more exceptions than the rule. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and it's, it's a wake-up call right away. I mean, really, it's a slap in the face. See, what's going to be interesting, too, is if – and I'm getting purely into the hypothetical here, which might trigger some more angry text. But <laughs> if <laughs> – we'll, we'll have like an angry text camp. You know, when John said this, you know, Sheriff Norman got five angry texts yeah. versus the two he got before. <laughs> but, the, 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 but the getting into the hypothetical here is when you're talking about, you know, combating crime, the question is whether the criminal justice reform package – passed during Edwards' first term becomes the scapegoat for, quote-unquote, problems with crime. And so that that's something I'm kind of keeping an eye out for is whether it gets blamed and you start trying to have parts or all of it get reversed. Well, there's no, there's no question that that's where the path is going, and some of it, I think, is justified and some of it is not. Uh, because right. anytime, and we could talk about this when we come back from the break, anytime you t- start talking about reinvestment by savings on on one other you know portion of an overall process, it's hard to quantify. Well, how much did we reinvest? How we go about doing? And what are the evidence based outcomes of these programs that we're talking about? And unfortunately. There are not many states that do it very successfully. There are not many cities that do it very successfully because it's a very 
very difficult thing to accomplish. We're visiting with John Cuvion, political analyst, pollster, and founder of JMC Analytics and Polling. We will be right back, folks. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Welcome back, folks. We're visiting with John Cumion, political analyst, pollster, and founder of JMC Analytics and Polling. We've been talking about um, Governor Jeff Landry's inaugural address. Uh, he actually takes um, and assumes the power of, of being governor at noon uh, today, according to the Louisiana Constitution. A little weird that we moved the inauguration the day before because of the uh, impending weather. Uh, that was not very favorable. Uh, John, I just wanted to say one other thing about when we were talking about crime. I, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I, I think the messaging is very important. And actually, I appreciate uh, his messaging on it because I spent a lot of time here talking about the culture of noncompliance, where we are today, that we just let these things happen. And I loved when he said uh, to the men and women serving in law enforcement during his inaugural address yesterday that um, – about the risk that they endure to protect us from those who just simply will not follow the laws of society. Our police officers, correctional officers, and deputies deserve our gratitude, our respect, and our support. It's just really good to hear that from the leader of the state of Louisiana and to start off his term of office um, uh, noting um, that sacrifice that's made. Absolutely. It sets a proper tone because I do think that kind of how you communicate your thoughts about law enforcement, whether you be whether you're the governor, the DA, the mayor, the president, parish president or whatnot, I do think that sets the tone to some extent as to what is or isn't allowed. So it's good to see that kind of support coming from the top. No, absolutely. Final thoughts about um, yesterday. So like I said, optically I thought it was very good. I mean, ironically, having it as the sun was going down provided all kinds of really good photo ops. The tone, I thought, was fairly simple, and he a little bit revealed his hand, but not much. I'm expecting to see and hear more 
in the opening sessions to the legislature as to really what he's thinking. Yeah. And uh, obviously, once he takes office uh, legally in one hour, <laughs> I think yes. there will probably be some other announcement. It's kind of, I mean, it really is weird, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you had the inauguration. I understand why it was done, but you have the inauguration yesterday, and here you are, you're waiting, you know, kind of the minutes ticking away when you actually assume the authority of the office. Right, and having to explain to the outside world that, yes, I've been sworn in, but I'm not truly governor yet for another day. You know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, the lawyers have a field day trying to get into all the wherefores and except fors on taking power. I would think, and, and if I were a betting man, I would bet that he's going to take another oath of office at noon today, just out of an hmm. abundance of caution privately yeah right because <laughs> as you said there there's some lawyer out there thinking about some uh theory as to whether or not yesterday will suffice or not be interesting to see yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'll, be, it'll be one of those little 30 second ceremonies you know do you i do okay he's governor <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> john cuvion as always it's a pleasure thank you so much for your time your insight have a great week my friend Thank you. You too. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Folks, when we come back after the top of the news break, it'll be myself. It'll be Dave Cohen, our WWL News Director, and Robert Hogan, Professor and Department Chair of Political Science at LSU. We will uh, talk about uh, the inaugural address. We'll have some cuts from the inaugural address. We'll get another perspective about what we can see as things uh, to come as we're talking all things politics in the state of Louisiana. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is Newell on WWL. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 